Good morning. Well, I've got to go. Okay, no, I'm not leaving. Uh, I'm just starting the sermon. Uh, How often do you hear those words, though? Got to go. You know, we hear them when we're running errands around town, when we're picking up the kids from school, or when maybe when we're finishing some kind of coffee meeting. It happens a lot, and we don't always think much of those words because we hear them so much. They're part of our culture. Always in a hurry to to get somewhere or to someone more interesting. But I think those words, what they ultimately mean, they can actually stifle true community growth. Recently, I was reading an article, and the article was talking about how easy it is in our world to always just say, you know, got to go. And how in many ways, those two words characterize our world. And the article points out, like everything, there's an app for that, right? There's actually this app that allows you to input the time that you want to receive a text with an excuse to leave, right? to get out of a meeting or a date, I guess, or anything. Like you can back it up with a text from whom you can put who you want it from, the name you want to pop up. Now, it is made by a comedian, but is this just some crazy comedic idea? Right? Community is really challenging, and community often requires sacrifice, love, and care. It interrupts our individual lives, sometimes for the good, and sometimes it doesn't really feel all that good at all. But there is an approach to Christian community, to the community of God that is characterized not by the words, gotta go, but rather by perseverance and love. And so brothers and sisters, today I want to submit that in the midst of the challenges of community, we are called, as the church, to be a people who persevere with one another in love as Christ did for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that as we come here today to to hear from your word, God, that you would allow that word to just transform our hearts. God, that you would love through us. That we might be able to love one another and to persevere in that love. Lord, speak through me today as I share your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's dive into the word this morning. If you want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, We'll be, we'll be sitting in Romans in, in both 14 and 15, but specifically verses 5 and 6. So Romans 15, 5 and 6, it reads this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. See, in the book of Romans... Paul is writing, he's not just writing a theological treatise that kind of lays out his theology. He's writing an actual letter to an actual group of people in Rome, and he's encouraging them to take this theology and to put it into practice. See, the church in Rome is made up predominantly of Gentile believers, Greeks, but also with a a strong cohort of Jewish believers there as well. And in his letter, Paul addresses what seems to be a problem causing some division in the church in Rome. The believers are split over what seems like living with Jewish customs or not. They're divided over eating food, observing certain days as special, and drinking wine. And these disagreements have led to them actually despising one another. Right? Those who are capable of not following those laws or who Paul calls the strong in this text, 
They're looking down on those in the community who, because of their conscience, aren't able to live in that freedom of eating and drinking and not observing a specific day. So those who were observing those customs, it seems, despised those who did not. Uh, Perhaps because they felt put down, or as the text suggests, they were struggling with viewing this, partaking in these things, as sinful for them. Uh, Paul wants the Roman church to understand that whatever they do here, they have to be doing it for God. He says that even if you disagree, who are you to judge your brother? See, we have a tendency to despise people who believe differently than us on non-core issues, who are holding to faith in Jesus, but disagree on non-essentials. Paul certainly isn't saying that these could be non-Christian beliefs, but that there are disagreements on debatable beliefs. Like some examples in our day might be, I don't know, drinking alcohol, uh, maybe keeping the Sabbath as a specific day each week, or not kissing before marriage, right? We're responsible to do good exegesis and study the word, but Paul doesn't want the unity of the church to fall at the expense of non-core, non-essential issues. Paul wants the the challenges of community with good theology to lead them to love and us to love. And so all of Romans, I think, is leading up to this part in in chapter 14 and 15 where Paul has been laying out the implications of becoming the family of God. And by Christ's love, he then calls them and us to be unified across social, ethnic, and even across non-essential barriers. The church is to be a unified new creation across every barrier, giving unified praise to God. But there are challenges to the unity of a community, and one of those is convenience. See, one of our cultural mantras seems to be, you know, do what makes you happy. And inconvenient things don't really make us happy, right? If things get tough in a relationship or community, hey, just cruise on out of there. But God actually calls us something quite different. He calls us to love one another and to bear with one another. In our text today in Romans, Paul asks the strong to bear the weaknesses of the quote-unquote weak. And one New Testament scholar says, Paul is not urging the strong simply to you know, bear with or to tolerate or put up with the weak and their scruples. He says in Galatians 6.2, Paul uses the same word when he says to, one, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, like love one another. So in that light, what Paul is exhorting the strong to do is to willingly and lovingly assume for themselves the burden that these weak believers are carrying. And that doesn't mean that they begin to follow these customs or laws, but as scholar Douglas Moo says, they are sympathetically to enter into their attitudes, to refrain from criticizing and judging them, and to do what love would require toward them. Love demands that the strong go beyond the distance implied in mere toleration. They are to treat the quote-unquote weak as brothers and sisters. Now some of you hear that word weak, and you, th- you, know, you think that, that might seem unfair. But Paul is really referring to the fact that you know, being no longer under the law but under God's grace, we're not saved by following the law. And so there's certain exterior practices of the law that are no longer necessary to be considered part of the community of God, like food laws, Sabbath laws, and circumcision. Now, some do feel the need to follow these customs because they think it'd be sinful for them not to do so. And and that's true for us even in our day. 
Uh, For some of us, from a young age, we were taught that something was really important uh, for us to be considered or to to, to have a characteristic of a Christian. And we've kind of used those things to draw a line between us and the culture around us. For example, not drinking alcohol at all. I grew up with that mentality until I was probably in my early 20s. I, I began to realize that Scripture did not forbid it, but rather drunkenness. And so I had actually been looking down on some of my friends and people who loved God but didn't mind drinking alcohol. It made me very uncomfortable when I was around them. And as I got older, I began to realize that that just wasn't an acceptable attitude to have toward people and that I had to change how I was looking at a brother or sister in Christ. And Peter had to do the same thing in Acts 10 and his change of viewpoint led him to leading Gentiles to Jesus. Yet for some of us, that remains something that between between us and God, they would consider it sin. And Paul encourages those of us who have those kind of viewpoints uh, not to worry about what our brother or sister says, but to do what we think is right before God, because it's to him we're ultimately responsible. But on the matter of convenience here, Paul's actually making a really, really strong point. It would have been convenient for these people, rather than bearing with one another and loving one another, to just kind of say, you know, why don't we just separate? You go do your thing because you believe and want to do these different things. And why don't we just go do our own little thing over here? But Paul actually never gives them that option. And so when we approach Christian community, neither should we, right? There is no plan B. God's plan for Christian community is the church. And unity is really important. And we're not going to attain that unity if we don't bear with one another and lay down our rights, as Paul encourages the strong to do. So maybe you have a non-essential theological disagreement with someone and you just, you just want to avoid them. That's actually not Christ-like. Christ did not enter into our mess and do what just pleased him. He gave up his rights and his life for sinners like us who are our most inconvenient and uncooperative lot, if we're honest. I was on this uh, intense four-day challenge. It was called the Extreme Character Challenge in the Continental Divide area a couple weeks ago. Uh, It was an adventure. It took some physical prep, and we arrived there. We were all put on a team, and we had to transport our stuff and team stuff into the hills. We were trekking late hours of the night in rough terrain, and on the first day, an older man seriously injured his ankle. I mean, this is the kind of challenge that you fill out medical waivers for um, with all your medical information. People have been taken off of this challenge because they couldn't make it. And this guy, first day, just toasts his ankle. But guess what happened? This man's team gathered around him. They took his entire pack. They split it between all of them. And they walked at his snail pace over mountains, trees, streams. I mean, my team, we started the challenge on one particular day, two hours after his team did. We finished long before them. We had our camp set up, and we had slept for four hours before they even made it to camp. And then they had to get up the next day and do the same thing we did, grueling physical challenges with much less sleep. They really had to bear with their brother with great patience, when it was inconvenient and seemed to slow them down. But guess what? At the end, we reached our destination. They finished at the same time and in the same place with the same reward. 
And that's really the way it should be with the community of God, right? We are on a journey in community. It's not a business or a business venture where we're aiming at getting as far ahead as possible, as fast as possible at the expense of, you know, some people. This is a group that is on a mission, but like the U.S. Army Rangers say, we are going to strive to leave no one behind. Those men were a great example of love without complaining, carrying the burden of one another when it was inconvenient. But sometimes we enter community, and not everyone has that attitude, right? Sometimes we enter community, and there is conflict. Then what do we do? The Roman church had conflict. The Corinthian church had conflict. Those in Galatia had conflict. I had a professor, I think I've said this before, at the beginning of every class would make us all stand up and repeat, I have issues, you have issues, all of God's people have issues. And lots of times those issues can lead to conflict, right? No matter where you go, there's really no way to avoid it. Eventually, even if you're just trying to stay in your home all the time, you're going to have to drive your car down the street. You're going to have to wait in line at a store. And if you don't have the gospel, you will be angry at things that don't go your way. So conflict's going to happen in any community. And that includes the community of God. But with the gospel, this challenge can lead us to Christ-likeness. See, conflict kind of exposes our character and what we trust in. I think that this challenge, the challenge of conflict, it can actually be redemptive if the gospel is at the center of it. Take, for example, say there's two people arguing over something rude that someone, one guy said to another guy. Uh, maybe someone was tired and angry and they were asked to do too much and, and you know, you make a snide comment about how this person doesn't do enough and boom, conflict. But take the gospel and apply it to that, right? In light of the gospel, there's going to be a conversation about that. that If the gospel is immediately applied, there's going to be humility. A humility to, you know, admit wrongdoing, that what they said wasn't right. And and in a humility to forgive rather than to spread gossip and division. One proverb says this, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I really like that word overlook. It actually means to cover, right? To cover an offense. You're not overlooking it like ignoring it. But like Jesus does on the cross, when he dies for our sins and forgives us our debts or sins, we're also to forgive the sins of others by covering them with forgiveness. And so in that way, conflict in community, even disagreements over convictions, discussing them in light of God's grace given to each of us in the gospel can cause each of us to become more Christ-like. Or as one proverb puts it, it can sharpen us. One proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, That kind of sharpening can happen in conflict. And when it happens in community, it's often uncomfortable. It happens when we step out of our comfortable bubble and into genuine community, which brings us to another challenge, to a community. The challenge of comfort. Sharpening something takes work. Uh, It takes the right whetstone. It takes someone's hand moving that knife against the whetstone, creating friction, It'll kind of break off the little nicks, the things that catch, or cutting away the dull stuff to make something sharper. Now, in our main verse today, it talks of the God of all comfort. So I'm going to differentiate a little bit between what I mean when I say comfort is a challenge for community and the God of all comfort. Because in one sense, the comfort that God brings is vastly different than the comfort that we often seek in community. Right? The comfort we receive from God and what Paul is praying for the Romans is a word that can also mean encouragement, 
a consolation that's found in our salvation, regardless of the circumstances. And community is a huge part of that. But the challenge of comfort is what I think often gets defined as comfort, straight from the dictionary. The seeking of a pleasant lifestyle and a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. Right? Despite its encouragement, genuine community really isn't conducive to uh, painlessness and ease. And often when we seek this kind of comfort and find, you know, there seems to be some things that might make us uncomfortable or don't fit our style or dreams, that's when comfort becomes a real community killer, a barrier to true, messy community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a a theologian uh, from Germany who was executed by Hitler in World War II, he says this, Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christ's life together should be and try to realize it, right? That's to say, like, make him or herself comfortable, fulfill their own desires within the Christian community. This is what Bonhoeffer says of that. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He or she, who loves his dream of a community, more than the Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of the latter. He says, The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, and sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. So he says, when things do not go this person's way, he calls the efforts a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. We can certainly be tempted to view the community like this person. We created in our own image, and not ultimately in God's. And that's a challenge to community. We need more than a wish dream. We need something more like Jesus who came to dwell with a messy world, who came to serve and not to be served. And that takes humility and perseverance and love. One thing that continues to come up as we read about what it means to be the body of Christ, there are actually two words out there in each of these passages that we've been reading that mean either to be constant in or to endure in. And I believe more than convenience or expedience, as a community, we need an endurance, a steadfastness, a perseverance together in love. Paul prays for perseverance constantly. It's actually a mark of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Paul says, love bears all things. There's that word to cover again, like cover an offense. It protects the relationship. It always trusts. It always hopes. And finally, it always perseveres. It endures. But how? First, I think that love in the context of community perseveres in prayer. See, prayer is frequently listed beside a word that is translated as devoted or persevere and not to faint. We saw the word in Acts 2.42 in our first sermon, I think. Believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In Romans 12, Paul encourages the believers to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Rejoice in the hope that you have. Be patient when the pressure is on. And be, there's that word faithful, which also means constant in prayer. I think prayer is a fitting closer there. 
How will we persevere when we're under pressure? In prayer. And in prayer for one another. See, prayer is a wonderful reality made available to us by the great reconciliation that we have with Christ. And when we come to prayer, we come uh, not on our own power of standing, but by Christ standing and having been united to him in faith on the basis of his finished work for us. So prayer is possible because of God's sending of his son to make a way for us. And so in the same way, prayer is coming before the throne of God being in his presence and being reminded of the reality that you are reconciled to him through Christ's blood, which brings us together. And so if we're going to persevere in community, it's going to be through prayer. Paul, when he speaks of putting on the armor of God, he tells us that prayer is for us when we are on mission together. He says, uh, it's a wartime device, as Pastor John Piper puts it, not a domestic intercom to make us comfortable, but something we use when we are on mission with one another. Paul writes in Ephesians, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The word translated there, always keep, that's the same word used for devoted or persevere in Acts 2.42. So let us pray for one another, each of us for all of us, and yes, especially for those that we don't always see eye to eye with and we're tempted to kind of back away from. Let's pray that we might gladly Bear and be patient with one another. We need patience. See, when we enter into community, when we settle in, when we endure, we have to bear one another's burdens. Paul prays this for the Colossians in chapter 1. He prays that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. How? Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. There they are, endurance and patience going hand in hand. They're important for us to be able to bear fruit in every good work. We need that because we really do need one another. Tim Keller writes, We will not know God, change deeply, nor win the world apart from community. Right? There's no plan B, as I've said before. So what approach to community is really going to help us with patience? Bonhoeffer writes this, Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship. Because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Christ Jesus. Long before we entered into common life with them. We enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We come thankful for who God has brought to us. Not as demanders. And sometimes it's really hard to be thankful. And we we really need that patience with people and personalities that for us, as one pastor once put it, are EGR, extra grace required, right? We need patience, a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We need the reminder that love's patient, that it never gives up, that it never loses faith, that it's always hopeful, that it endures through every circumstance. See, when we come as Thankful recipients, we can, like Paul encourages the Ephesians, we can be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And the same things go for our preferences in community, like how we sing certain songs or what we like in a service. Paul instructs the Romans, he says, we are to lay down our rights and preferences aside for the sake of the other. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And then in Romans 15, 
Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. It's not about pleasing ourselves. What this means is not that we <laughs> that we're trying to please them, but that we're seeking to build them up. Because the spiritual prophet of all people is, as one Douglas Moo said, the, to the advantage of the Christian community as a whole, as its unity in praise and service is enhanced. Right? If we persevere in patience with one another, despite personalities that we conflict with and despite our preferences, we can advance the unity of the church in praise and service. So we must remember that the only way to persevere in patience and prayer, though, is ultimately to be caught by the power of the presence of God. A power that pushes us not to perform, but to persevere in love. Because all, all of us talk about prayer and patience, <laughs> we, need, we can't do it on our own, right? We're naturally self-centered. And so often we approach community with a view that the people around us should, you know, provide us some sense of satisfaction or Belonging, you know, praise us when we do something good or agree with us on how we should do things. And we think, ah, we don't feel it. I can just peace out. But that's not the case for a Christian community centered on the gospel. We need the power of God's presence to sustain us. J. Oswald Sanders says, all real Christian service is but the expression of the Spirit's power through believers yielded to him. We need to yield to him. In John 7, Jesus actually cries out. He says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So are you thirsty? Do you want to be able to persevere? Do you want these rivers of living water to flow through you in your life, to, to bring life to the community you're in? Jesus is encouraging us to go to him, to find our heart's deepest satisfaction in him. Uh, ben Stewart, a popular, uh, he's, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he was telling a story about how one of his friends was scuba diving with a partner and how her partner's mouthpiece air thingy, I don't know how many of you guys have ever scuba dived. I have, haven't really actually scuba dived. I did it in a pool once. It doesn't really count. Went bad and was getting him like wasn't getting him any oxygen. And because he didn't have a source of air, like desperation set in and this guy just grabbed her mouthpiece and started sucking on it. And you know, you would think he would share air, Ben Stewart says, but no, he just like sucked on it, like drowned, started pushing on this person. And the point Ben made was this. If we have a source of life or love, we can be a source of life or love. But if there's scarcity of love or life in us, we're going to be suckers of life. Right? We're going to want that per the people we're with to be life for us. Or we'll want them to be something for us that they really can't fulfill. Right? We need God's presence in our lives. And when we have God as our deepest source of satisfaction, then we can be a source of life. And like Jesus, we can lay down our rights and preferences and enter into the community of God, mindful always of our Savior's love. See, it's God, the God of endurance and encouragement. He's the one who makes it possible for us to live in harmony with one another. Right? We don't have these blessings of comfort and consolation and perseverance on our own. It's not coming from us. It's God who grants them to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's Christ-finished work on the cross. See, it's Jesus that brings us together. He's the one who came to dwell among us, to serve 
and not to be served. He's the one who gave his life up for us. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Right? He wasn't looking for a, a position. It didn't matter that he was the only strong one among weak people. Right? He laid down his preferences, his rights as the son of God to love and to give up his life for us. He endured, he persevered to the cross, disregarding its shame, emptying himself to the glory of God. And so, I just, may that be our prayer. May we have that mindset, right? That word came from Philippians 2 last week, that pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting that Dave spoke about. This, then may we have that same mindset that Christ Jesus had. And may, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us that attitude of mind toward each other that he had. So that with one mind and one voice, we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's what we want to be. A community that perseveres in love despite the challenges. That with one mind and one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And so to that end, may this be our prayer today. May we cry out as Amy Carmichael wrote years ago. Love through me, love of God. There is no love in me. O fire of love, light thou the love that burns perpetually. Flow through me, peace of God. Calm river, flow until. No wind can blow, no current stir. A ripple of self-will. Shine through me, joy of God. Make me like thy clear air that thou dost pour thy colors through as though it were not there. O blessed love of God that all may taste and see. How good thou art. Once more I pray, love through me, even me. May that be our prayer today. Amen.